Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 269. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. We've got an episode sponsor this week that I would happily say nice things about, even if I wasn't being paid to say nice things about them. Riveting post-apocalyptic audio drama, The Cleansed. Sometime in the not-so-distant future, the world as we know it is starting to unravel. The United States is mired in unwinnable wars, gas is scarce, and the transportation system grinds to a halt. Food is strictly rationed and distributed by the military. As citizens grow increasingly angry with the government, martial law is called in to maintain peace. And then, things really start to get bad. So this is the place, huh? According to one of her girlfriends, yeah. Looks like it. A goddamn welfare palace. So what, she just gave you a key? <laughs> With enough persuasion, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Luke. Daddy's home. Miles, who's that? It's your dad, Luke. It's your big mean old dad. Oh no, okay. Like what mom told us, right? Find a place to hide. Find a place to hide. Find a place to hide. Alright, you load up. There should be all kinds of stuff in the cupboards. Hey, you weren't kidding. This place is a treasure trove. Yeah, thanks to the welfare state. Peanut butter! Good old American peanut butter! You know I can hardly even find this stuff on the black market? Quit talking and load up. I gotta find my son. Luke! Luke! Hey, Luke, buddy. Come on. Where are you? Constitution's federal Luke! <laughs> oh, okay, I, I see your doodles. You gotta be around here, Luke. Damn it, Luke, if you don't come out, you're gonna regret it. I heard that. Get out from under there. No! You're making me do this! I'm your father. You do what I tell you to, not the other way around. Miles, you're a bad man! Miles? Who the hell is. <laughs> you mean that stupid doll? Are you kidding me? You're still carrying around that bear the counselor gave you? Oh, come on, give me that thing. No! 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 I can't do it. You, you, you rely on this thing, huh? <laughs> you can't hurt him, mister. You may be his dad, but I'll protect him. It's a goddamn war outside, kid, and here you are playing with dolls. You see... This is why I need you to be with me and and not the welfare queen. Do you understand? But get your ass up. You hurt me! You'll hurt a lot worse if you keep talking. Now get up! Oh, for Christ's sake! Hey! Hey! People are coming! What? It's your wife, maybe. There's some guys with her. Oh, that slut. There it is, up ahead. Oh, my baby, oh, Luke. Hey, hey, slow down. We need to stay together. I can't believe I left him. It's all because of you. You said it wasn't safe. Ma'am, please. Luke, Luke, I'm coming, Luke. Lee, those are military. I can see just fine. What are we doing then? Standing our ground. Luke. Slow down. Look, slow down, stick with us. Luke. Chris, you protect the group, I'm going in. Careful, David. 
shut up! Oh! What the hell are you doing leaving our son home alone in this bug house? They said... they said it wasn't safe. Safe enough for you to leave our son alone? Jesus, you know he's going insane? Talking to a goddamn teddy bear for Christ's sake. Luke, baby, I'm home. Put her down. Drop your gun. There's nowhere to run, man. Now let go of the woman and get out of here. Sure, side with the welfare queen. Bitch can't even watch her own son. Lee, please, you're insane. I'm coming for what's mine. You lost your custody. Yeah, because of your lies. I said drop her. You want to start something of it? Stand down, sir. You sure you want to start this fight? Not much I can do about it now, huh? I'm not about to leave my son again. Just stop for a moment. Let's think about this. Think about what? We got you outnumbered, don't we, Mike? Mike! You're on your own, man! You pussy! Lay the gun down. Screw you! You've taken everything away from me, and now you want the last thing. Damn it, you're not going to have it! Sir, that's not... I served, you know. In Afghanistan. Two tours. Two savage, nasty tours of sleepless nights and IEDs. They hit my Hummer once. Thing rolled over, and the guys with me died. <laughs> Don't know why I survived it. I wish I hadn't sometimes. Please. And now you're here to take it all away from me? Oh, no, yeah. How's that for redemption? Please. A reward for service. Do not go for that gun. Eat it. You, you killed him. You killed him. I, he didn't leave me with a choice. You didn't have to do that. Is that your son? Luke. Oh, Luke. Oh, Luke. I'm sorry you had to see that. You killed my daddy! You killed my daddy! I, I, I'm sorry, son. He, he, he was sick. And now, look, we, there's no time. Get your things. We got a long road ahead of us. I gotta say, I personally don't know of any audio drama on the internet that's produced this darn well. Seriously, it's kinda staggering. 30 plus actors, all recorded on locations in southern Maine, with a full original orchestra score and sound design, all freely available at thecleansed.com. And production quality aside, the story is damn engrossing too, cause, you know, that's also pretty important I guess. You gotta go check this thing out, people. For a limited time because of this promotion, the full versions of the prologue and episode one of The Cleansed are available for free, uncut. The episodes are always free, but usually broken up into three to seven minute segments. And you're gonna wanna take advantage of this, folks, because this puppy's pretty gripping, and thus best enjoyed uninterrupted. Check out thecleansed.com forward slash Drabblecast. You'll find a link in our show notes. If you like post-apocalypse fiction as much as I do, do yourself a favor and put this in your ears. All right, folks, let's listen to a hundred-word story. This week's Drabble, another selection from the Drabblecast's fan-run fancast, The Dribblecast, a 100-word story by Nathan Lee called Aversion Therapy, read by the one and only Rish Outfield of the Doonstief Audio Magazine. Aversion Therapy by Scattercat The advertising copy had been persuasive. Harness the brain's natural powers. Use empathy to control those cravings away. And really, the procedure had worked. It hadn't hurt. A brief humming, a bit of dizziness, and it was done. Please, 
cried the cupcakes. We've lost so many of our sisters. No, take me instead, said the cake. I can survive another slice gone. Better I should suffer than another pastry be snuffed out. Oh, the pie whispered, it hurts. And so he sat, tears streaming down his cheeks, surrounded by pleading voices only he could hear, sobbing helplessly with every bite. This has been a presentation of the Dribblecast, which is an offshoot of the Drabblecast. It's sort of a, a tumorous growth on the Drabblecast. You too can participate in the Dribblecast when you grow up, boys and girls. I mean, if you study hard, if you stay in school, if you keep away from drugs and... Never mind. This has been Rich Outfield. Good night. Dribblecast.org. Try your hand at producing 100-word stories and otherwise. It's good times. So, this week on the show, we look at survival, the fine art of not getting your ass killed. We humans have got it much worse than the poor cupcakes and that drabble kids. Because, you see, nature has no empathy. Basically, when it comes down to it, pretty much the most you can ask for every day is just not to die. Extinction is the rule. Survival is the exception, Carl Sagan once said. Take, for example, the story of Julianne Kupka. On Christmas Eve, 1971, a day after her high school prom, Julianne was flying with her mother and 91 other people in an airplane that got struck by lightning and exploded mid-air. The blast sent Julianne hurtling into the Peruvian jungle from 10,000 feet, still strapped into her seat. She suffered a broken collarbone, a swollen eye, and a nasty gash on her arm. But aside from those injuries, and the trauma of surviving a goddamn plane explosion that liquefied everybody else, she was miraculously unhurt after her fall. And that was just the beginning. Surviving exclusively on holiday sweets she found in the wreckage, Julianne traipsed through the thick rainforest, following a stream towards civilization and surviving off a set of wilderness skills her father had once taught her, presumably much to the high school girl's deep chagrin at the time. Ew. Whatever, Dad. Nine days she waded downstream, covered in insects, Ow. attacked by piranha, Ew. all the while nearly blind because, unfortunately, she managed to at some point misplace her glasses when she fell thousands of feet from the sky. Julianne eventually found a canoe and paddled it to the first sign of civilization she had seen since the crash, a lumber yard. The next day, Julianne was airlifted via non-exploding plane to a hospital where her father had been notified and was waiting for her doubtless with a huge I told you so expression on his face. So with all that in mind, we bring you this week's story, Bright Lights by Robert Reed. Mr. Reed is the author of more than 200 published works of short fiction, plus a smattering of novels. He won a Hugo for his novella, A Billion Eves. Reed lives in Lincoln, Nebraska with his reporter wife and fifth grade daughter. For more about him and his work, see his website at robertreedwriter.com. This story first appeared in Strange Horizons in May 2012. So without further ado, we bring you Bright Lights by Robert Reed.
The water fountains are low. The lockers are empty. The summer air is warm. But there are people in the classrooms. People are talking, are moving. A female emerges from the nearest classroom. She is fully grown. She has dyed hair and competing odors and all of her teeth. Showing her teeth, she asks, Are you the teacher? Yes. Yes, I am. She wants to believe those words. What she sees isn't what she expects, but this woman believes in authority. She wants to get along with others. Showing her teeth, she says, My son is thrilled to get into your class. He loves the outdoors and doing outdoors things, fishing and all that. Good. You'll do the field trip Thursday, right? To the woods? She waits a moment and then says, I can take some of the kids if you need an extra car. I don't need a car. But I'd like to come along. I mean, I've heard such good things about you. My friend Rita? She stops talking, trying to find a reason for her nervousness. I must go and teach your son. Of course. Yes, good. Eleven partly grown people are sitting in the classroom. Seven are male, three female. One is somewhere between. When they look up, they see a teacher, but mostly they focus on texting devices and electronic games. Every machine stops working. Hey, one male says. By look and by scent, he is the offspring of the nervous woman walking down the hallway now. My phone just died. Mine too, says a female. This is a class about survival. What the hell do you need with these ugly, useless devices? Every face looks up. Caution and curiosity exist inside each person. They stare at the teacher, and when nothing happens, they glance at each other, sharing emotions. A tentative union has built from this shared confusion. I will return in a moment. A grown male is in the hallway, hurrying toward the classroom. He carries a father-son bow and a homemade knapsack full of primitive devices made by his hands and his teeth. He wears a beard and sandals and shorts with a big belt, carrying a compass and an empty knife sheath. His wary expression matches his worried mind. I'm sorry I'm late. My car battery died. Better that than you. Puzzled, the man says nothing. There has been a change of plans. Your classroom has been moved upstairs to room 211. Oh? He looks at the ceiling. I must go now. The man looks through the door's glass. What are you teaching? Nature's laws. The adult male leaves, but only for a while. Confusion and the bureaucracy will deliver a gift of several minutes. Several minutes is enough time to win over the students. What is necessary is a compelling gesture. Now listen, and I will tell you about yourselves. Everybody listens. 
Each child hears his or her name and a brief description rich with details pulled from their own minds. Only an idiot wouldn't be intrigued. But most of the children are put off by the frank, intrusive music. It is immediately apparent who is useful here and who must be sacrificed. We must leave. The field trip isn't till Thursday, says the male with the dyed mother. Where are we going? Any place is better than this shithole. Two other boys laugh, as well as the person that is not quite a girl. Come with me now, please. Six of the creatures stand, but only four make the walk to the door. One girl in that group of four is scared. She wants to stay with the brave people, but instincts tell her not to follow a teacher that knows too much and doesn't act normal. If you don't have the fire to come with us, stay. Yeah, I don't know, she says, hunting for excuses. I forgot my sunscreen, and these aren't the right kind of shoes. Then you will stay behind as a sacrifice. The declaration produces panic and cerebral acuity. Nobody is certain what to believe. Even the bravest, most stubborn boys are uneasy about the following. But three children end up in the hallway, and that's when the boyish girl says, I thought this was going to be a boring class, making damn baskets out of grass and shit like that. Baskets would be an exceptional waste of time. They reach the school's back door, and the biggest boy stops. You've got to tell me where I'm going, he says. The attrition rate is disheartening, but there is only one appropriate response. If you need to know, you do not deserve to go with us. The boy braces himself. Then I'm not going, he mutters. Then you are sacrificed says the girl boy, laughing as she pushes open the door. Three bodies move into the summer sun, crossing the playground at a pace just a little short of quick. Something is different, says the final boy. No shit, the girl boy says, walking faster. I don't mean us. He is slender, his face defined by eyes and protruding ears. It's quieter than usual, don't you think? She considers the possibility. I hear the wind, he says. Yeah, but no traffic, the girl boy says, one hand over her eyes as she watches the adjacent streets. And I don't hear any air conditioners running. Survival in the Wilderness, Lesson 1. They look up, jaws set, waiting. There is little difference between the top of the tallest mountain and a three-bedroom frame house. Each place is wilderness. Each is primitive and rich with danger. But only an idiot human would try to endure the mountaintop. Resources are essential. Go where the resources are abundant. 
The house is connected to power sources, and it is infused with purified elements, and much can be accomplished by the lone entity determined to survive. The children blink and then look at each other. You're an alien, the boy says. Aren't you? Damn, he is, the girl boy says. Survival in the Wilderness, Lesson 2. All right, we're listening, the girl boy says. Once survival is assured, energy and materials can be applied to loftier targets. Returning home is one possibility, but sometimes there is no home. Sometimes the traveler must suffocate his deepest desires to give his precarious existence a worthwhile purpose. A brief grassy slope leads off the playground and down to a small arterial street. No traffic lights are working. Several drivers stand in front of dead cars, hoods up, faces puzzled. One driver lifts an arm, asking, Do you know anything about cars? Students and teacher press on. You're doing this, the girl boy says. Her teeth are small and yellow. Are you organic or robotic? asks the boy. They walk. Emerging from the school behind them is the man wearing a beard and carrying a homemade bow but no arrows. He looks organic, the girl boy says. I don't know, says the boy. The girl boy giggles. You caused this blackout, didn't you? He could be both, the boy says. Meat and machine, you know? <laughs> this is wild, she says. How big is the blackout, the boy asks. Lesson three. They fall silent. Wilderness is precious. Wilderness must be protected. The moral traveler heals what he can and grieves for the damage that cannot be avoided. Sacrifice cannot be avoided. What damage are you doing? The boy asks. Delighted with everything, the girl boy giggles again. A cracked driveway rises to a three-bedroom home. The front door stands open. They enter one by one, the boy lingering on the concrete porch, looking back at the bearded man who is running hard now. Come on, the girl boy says. I don't know, he replies. Neither do I. Come on. They stand inside the house, except there are no interior walls. Two children are standing with several thousand other young males and females. Scattered houses and abandoned factories are linked by various means, weaving the illusion of a single room. But there is only one teacher. Targets have been selected. Each of you will be compressed and inserted into ships that will ride laser light. The briefest journey will take 20,000 years. Most voyages will be longer and all will be dangerous. Success rates will be less than 2%. The boy starts to cry. The girl boy is terrified that she might throw up in front of strangers. Yet she punches her classmate in the arm, 
telling both of them. Be brave. Full training and cognitive enhancements will occur during the journey. None of you will be completely prepared for your target. I was not ready for this hunk of mud and salt water. But I was ready to make myself ready. And I was patient. And three hundred years of preparation has made the world ready for this culminating moment. Go and make your new mud shine, my children. The bearded man feels heavy. He feels winded. He slows at the dead cars and tells the drivers to call 911. He slows to rest. They just walked past you, he says. Did you even notice them? One driver lifts his phone and says, Nope, not working, sorry. Nothing's working, says the woman standing beside him. Everybody's walking, says the man cheerfully. The two drivers return to their conversation, heads filled with thoughts of future dinners and images of sex. The bearded man is furious, particularly about those two kids. They aren't little ones. How could they be so stupid? Running again, he steers for the house where he saw them go. The bow is in his right hand. He made the father-son bow this morning. Two limbs of green wood are lashed together. The bowstring is woven from the back tendons of a white-tailed deer. These are easy bows to build and surprisingly powerful, and he wishes that he had sneaked just one arrow onto the school grounds. That fantasy helps carry him along, showing what he would do with one arrow and any fair shot. A figure emerges from the house. The bearded man slows. He isn't certain what he's seeing. What walks down the driveway is not what he talked to inside the school. A sound begins, distant at first and almost pleasant. Then a brilliant blue slash of light passes across the sky, bringing a terrible shrieking roar that knocks him off his feet. He wasn't looking up, yet he is rendered temporarily blind. He sits and blinks, listening to faraway shouts, and as his vision clears, he finds the figure kneeling before him. The hot summer air is even hotter than before. I grieve for this damage, but no action is permanent. With coordination and sacrifice, your electrical network will function in 11 years, and nearly one quarter of your population will endure. Smoke rides on the hot new wind. I would have invited you. But you have too many habits to adapt. What the hell are you saying? That I am sorrowful and guilty of much. And to make small amends for the destruction, I give you this. The figure handed him a single arrow black and perfectly sized for the bow lying between them. It felt like no other arrow in the world, quivering under his shaking fingertips, and he studies it in his nervous hands, asking, What do I do with this? 
the figure stands again. Shoot me. You want me to? It is my time, yes. The bearded man sits on the sidewalk, deliberating what to do. And field dress my body, my friend. You will not be disappointed in the treasures waiting inside. was our story. Hope you enjoyed. If you did, remember we bring you stories like this every week, and we do it only with the generous support of listeners such as yourself. It's easy, quick, and super awesome of you to donate. All you gotta do is hit up our webpage, drabblecast.org, and click the support options linked on the right. We really appreciate it. Alright, moving on to our 100-character story winner this week, listener Emily, with this one here. I woke up this morning wrapped in my true love's arms. It would have been better if they'd still been attached to his body. One hundred characters, not counting spaces. Give it a shot. Post it in our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org. You might be next week's winner. Follow us on Twitter at the Drabblecast. So that's our show, folks. Remember, Drabblecast is produced with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes or wherever you pick up our show. Blog about us. Tell a friend. Spread the weird. Special thanks to our kick-ass episode artist this week, Drabblecast art director Bo Kyer. Bo lives under a Southern California outcropping and can be described as a milky-eyed, foul-smelling invertebrate whose off-color organs can be clearly discerned through his skin. Tethering a mouse and keyboard to his appendages was the best damn idea I ever had. Bo would like to remind the listening community out there that Drabblecast's cover art opportunities are open to anyone who listens and has time and energy to volunteer their craft to the tentacle. Send an email to Bo, that's B-O, at Drabblecast.org expressing your interest, and he'll add you to the rotation. All styles and skill levels are welcome. Artists generally receive about two to three weeks to complete their piece. If you're a former contributor who hasn't heard from Bo in a while, feel free to send him a note expressing your continued interest. His record-keeping is above average for a subhuman cave dweller, but he does suffer some lapses. So, our program is brought to you by myself, Nikki Drayden, Managing Editor, our Submissions Editor, Nathan Lee, Editor-at-Large, Matthew Bay, our Art Director, Bo Kyer, and with additional help from Tom Baker, David Carvin, David Steffen, Jake Webb, and Jonathan McNeil. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman, reminding you, only an idiot human would try to endure the mountaintop. <laughs>